Um, I've got this uh, passage many of you will be familiar with, and I'm going to read the whole chunk. It's, it's quite, a, quite a chunk, um, but let's get it out there. Uh, Andrew, can we have that up? Okay, this is in Mark 5, beginning at verse 21, I believe, if you want to check it out. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. Turn to the person next to you and say, 12 years. That was rubbish. Turn to the person on the other side of you and go, 12 years. That was better. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone from out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see, the people are crowding against you, his disciples answered. And yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep but they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. Turn to the person next and say, 12 years old. And at this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. So here we have this story that many of you will be familiar with. We've got this older lady who has been bleeding for 12 years and this younger girl who at 12 years old is dying. We've got this older lady who knows and believes that Jesus could heal her and says, I've got to touch him. And you've got this younger girl who knows nothing about Jesus who Jesus needs to touch. And you've got this link going on. And the trouble is with any passages of Scripture, there's, there's the baseline that we read, but there's also uh, hidden agendas underneath, which Jewish people in particular would understand, and it helps us to grasp them too. So how about this? When Jewish people read the number 12, they don't just see 12 years like me and you do. They see 12 tribes. So they would picture the nation of Israel. The number 12 to a Jewish person would represent the nation, 12 tribes. So here we have an older lady representing a nation. So in actual fact, she's representing her generation in her nation, and she's bleeding. And here we have a younger girl 
with a number 12 attached to her. She's a younger girl representing her generation in a nation, and she's dying. And so here is Jesus in the middle of these two situations. And what God is saying to us here is, there's an older generation of faith that need to touch Jesus. And if they will touch Jesus, it will cause him to step in and touch a generation that doesn't even yet know about him. And so here's the thing, church. If you're a person of faith today, we've got to stop praying, God, touch me. And we've got to touch him. It's time to stop going, it's about me, it's about me, it's about me. It's not about you. It's about the next generation. And we have it on us to say, come on, I'm a person of faith. I believe that if I could touch the cloak of Jesus, my life would change. It's interesting that if you put yourself in her shoes, she's been bleeding for 12 years. They would call that unclean. And someone who is unclean is cast out. So for 12 years, look at it at base level now. For 12 years, no one has spoken to her. No one has touched her. No one has hugged her. She's been cast out. How does that make someone feel? You know, I've been away for 12 days. And I was well looking forward to a hug. She's been away for 12 years. She's isolated, depressed, struggling, wanted to be included. Does it sound like anyone? We're living in a generation that lives like that. We're in amongst people, but we're not part of anything. We've got friends, but we've not got friends. And here we are saying, Jesus, we need to touch you because when I touch you, I'm going to stop bleeding life and I'm going to get healed. But the great thing is here that Jesus is using an older generation to make way for a younger generation. And I believe it's really true. Can I invite my dad forward wherever he is? Round of applause for my dad. Dad, if you wouldn't mind just standing there and facing the uh, microphone. Let's just picture this, okay? God leads his church in triumph, yeah? That is always our starting point. When you wake up tomorrow morning, I don't know what your situation is, but I know this. God leads you in triumph. When you put your feet on the floor and you get out of bed, I don't care what your situation is, your starting point is triumph. Sometimes you may not be experiencing it in the natural yet, but you'll step into it in the spiritual. And what is true in the spiritual will eventually become to you in the natural. Do we believe that, church? This is exciting stuff. It's okay to get excited. I know it's warm. So God has led the older generation. And let's, let's assume this, this microphone here is something we're believing for. It could be hope. It could be provision. It could be salvation. It could be healing. It could be whatever it is. And God steps in and he takes the victory in Jesus. He then leads my dad, who is more than a conqueror. Yeah, you're more than a conqueror. So dad follows God who takes the victory and dad now conquers that thing. So that hope, that salvation, that victory, that financial provision, whatever it is, dad takes hold of it. He possesses the victory God gave him. Me being his son, I follow my dad. I'm the younger generation. And so what dad possesses, I inherit. And I didn't fight for it. I just get it. Dad fought for it. And I just want to honor every older person here who's fought for some stuff. Because the younger generation like me is inheriting what you fought for and we didn't have to do anything for. So let's give a round of applause for every older person here. Thank you, it 
was interesting. I don't know if you've ever heard my dad's testimony. I, I hope you might mind me sharing you some of it. But many years ago, when dad was a young man, he was paralyzed, couldn't walk. And he prayed a prayer. I don't know, it's funny when you're in that moment of need that you pray a prayer. It amazes me that all these atheist people, when the plane is about to crash, they start praying to a God they don't believe in. Do you know what I mean? Suddenly God's real. And here's dad, paralyzed. He got food poisoning. I believe it at the Butlins. So, you know, your choice. <laughs> Just saying. And he said, God, if you're real and you love me and you get me out of this, I'll even be a vicar. And you know what? The doctor said it had never happened, but two weeks later, he's walking again. And I got to be the vicar. <laughs> so I just inherited what dad fought for, really. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But you know what? The younger generation is what we're fighting for. Can I say something about age now? Because age, spiritually speaking, doesn't actually mean the number of years you've been here. You could be someone who's 25 years old and yet met Jesus when you were 10. That means you spiritually you're 15 years old. You could be someone who's 35, 45, and 50 who's not yet met Jesus. So spiritually speaking, you're older than they are. So actually, when you get to that age, you spiritually are fighting for things for people who are even older than you because spiritually speaking, they're not. Do you get it? So if you're mature in Christ today, I'm speaking to you. Stop saying God touched my life and start reaching out and touching him because you're going to free something for everyone else. And in the midst of it, you're going to stop bleeding life. Because that was always his heart to you. Imagine that. She's shunned by everyone. She pushes through the crowds. Now that would be quite easy to do, wouldn't it? Because they're not allowed to touch her. Because if you touch an unclean person, you become unclean. So here she comes. I'm unclean. I'm unclean. Like, oh, oh, oh. Straight through the crowds, straight to Jesus. And she touches him. And in that moment when she touches Jesus, she stops bleeding. What does that make her? Whole again. She can now step into friendships and relationships. She might get married. She might have hope. I don't know what else was going on and what else she might have been bleeding in terms of the picture of the story. But I know this. When you touch Jesus, things change. Lives change. And it's always been his heart for you. And so there's this picture right now that this woman reaches out to Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He says, who touched me? Who touched me? My power left me. Nowhere else does Jesus ever do that. Everywhere else, he says, don't tell anyone about it. Now the lepers come, don't tell anyone about it. He heals the blind man, don't tell anyone about it. Even at the end of this story, he raises the girl from the dead and he says, don't tell anyone about it. But this time, when the woman touches him, he tells everyone about it. Who touched me? Someone's touched me. The power's gone from me. Who was it? Come on. Weird. Do you know what's happening? Jesus is being sneaky. I love sneaky Jesus. Here's the thing. Jesus was a rabbi. And if the rabbi touches an unclean thing, he loses authority. The rabbi could not enter a room with a dead person because the dead person is unclean. Therefore, the rabbi couldn't enter the room. Jesus knew he had to enter the room with the dead person. So what does he do? The unclean woman touches Jesus, making Jesus unclean, and he wants everyone to know, I'm unclean now. Who touched me? Oh, it was you. The bleeding woman has touched me. I'm unclean. What does that mean? I can now go into the room with a dead person. And I want to say this to you. Jesus is more interested in your health and wholeness than he is in the rules. 
So many people think church is about a bunch of rules, and yet Jesus broke all the rules to touch you. He broke all the rules to give you wholeness. So let's stop making it about the rules and start making it about Jesus. Because he wants you to stop bleeding life and live the life you were always called to in the first place. Because it's interesting, when you start living the life you're called to in the first place, it then rarely becomes about you and always becomes about someone else. Because here's this woman who's reaching Jesus for herself. If I could touch you, it would heal me. And she did get that. But what she actually did was free Jesus to bless someone else. She didn't know it. But in her reaching out to him, she got healed. Someone else got healed. And I believe the principle is still the same today. When we reach out to touch Jesus, not only are you going to get touched, but you're going to free Jesus to touch someone else that you may not even know. But we're playing our part in a bigger picture. And he loves you. And he's for you. So here's this woman. And she has to push through the crowds. Now for her, there'll be crowds of fear. Crowds of being unacceptable. Crowd, crowds of depression. Crowds of sickness. She had to choose, this is my moment. I'm pushing through it all because I have to touch that Jesus. And it begs the question today, what are your crowds? Because I, I know this, and I can say this with confidence, if you will touch Jesus, your life will change. But we've all got crowds. And crowds could be busyness. I'm so busy, I can't make church. I'm so busy, my prayer life's gone out the window. I'm so busy, etc., etc., etc. You've got to push through your crowd. Maybe your crowd is sickness. I've been sick for so long that oh, just, oh, God, I can't even, I'm giving up. Well, you've got to push through the crowd and touch your Jesus. Maybe the crowd for you is lack. Maybe the crowd for you is depression. Maybe the crowd for you is all of these things. I don't know, but I know this. This woman demonstrates something. She was bleeding life. Everyone was against her, but she was determined to push through and touch Jesus. And when she did, her life changed forever. And God is saying to us, the church today, if you're a mature person, no matter where your life is at right now, it's about you touching Jesus. And stop keep asking Jesus to touch you because it would change a nation. And it would change the next generation. And that's why I love, and I think that's why God put the next generation on my heart, speaking to Numa earlier. Because our children's ministry is exploding. And the reason it's exploding is because there's a bunch of mature Christians who are reaching out to Jesus. And these young people are going to change the world. They are going to inherit what we're fighting for. You know, as I demonstrated, my dad pushed through some stuff, and I've inherited it. I praise God for him, and always will. What could we push through to set up the next generation? Because it's not just about your own child, and I believe it is about your own child, but it's about children. It's about a generation. I I love this thought. And I don't want to get too political stroke religious. But I know the Muslim community is coming into our country to take over. You know, I don't think that's a big secret. And this is their plan, and it's not a secret either. They plan to overpopulate our country. The average Muslim family are going to have seven children. The average English family will have two. So in 50, 60, 70 years' time, the ratio is going to be seven Muslims to two white people. And of those two white people, how many of them are actually going to believe in God? So their plan is to overpopulate the place with people who share their faith. And it's not a secret. My, the thing I can say myself is about all these Christians are worried about it. Oh, no, they're taking over the world Either God is God or he's not. Either God's got an A plan or he hasn't. And my God has. So here's what I believe. 
They can come in and they can populate our country as much as they like. But when mature Christians will reach out and touch Jesus, Jesus is going to be free to touch a generation that don't yet know him. And actually, they're populating our country with people who are going to meet Jesus. Because that's my sneaky Jesus. We win. And we will always win. When I say we, Jesus wins and we're part of that victory. Do you see? But it, the, 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 the emphasis is on us right now to push past our stuff and touch our Father. Come on, we've got to get serious about it. We can't keep believing for revival. We can't keep believing for a, a visitation of the Holy Spirit to change our town and not push past our stuff. We've got a part to play, church. Can I stir you up? You know, I've been in church for eight days out the last nine. I'm pumped. Could we get to that place? Where we're living it. We're waking up in the morning going, I don't care what my circumstances say to me. Today is a victory day for me. And you live it. And you reach out to Jesus for it. And you take hold of your healing in your life. You stop leaking life and you start living life. And out of that, you're freeing Jesus to touch the next generation. And the world will change. Not because you knew all those people. Not because you Bible bashed those people. But because you played your part in touching Jesus. And it freed him to play his part in touching another generation. So it leads us on to the next part of the passage. This woman has touched Jesus. Jesus has made a great big song and dance about it, which he's never done before, which now frees him to go into this room. And he approaches the room and he says, well, the commotion, but sneaky Jesus has to just, just clarify a few things. She's not dead. She's asleep. So for anyone who hasn't seen that he's been touched by an unclean person, they're now freeing him to go in because he's saying she's not even dead. She is dead. She's not asleep. But he says she's asleep. So he's allowed to go in. And notice what he does. He only takes Peter, James, and John in with him. Why? Because when you're believing for America in your life, you've got to get the people who sap your faith out of the room. If you're going to push past something, you need to be someone who surrounds yourself with men and women of faith who are going to build your faith, not suck your faith. And I'm not saying don't be friends or don't hang around with people who have no faith. The opposite of that, please hang around with them. Please be their friends. Otherwise, who are you diffusing life to? But when you need a breakthrough, when you're believing for something, surround yourself with men and women of faith because then you'll have a story to tell. Do you see the difference? It's not about pushing yourself away from people who have no faith. Absolutely hang around with those people often. But when you need your miracle, get yourself around people of faith. Otherwise, it just zaps you. It interests me, actually, Andrew, if we can just, just jump back to that verse 26, I believe it was. It says something about the woman, and I just want to just recap it. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she got worse. The answer so often to our issues is that we try and buy our way out of it. If I got a bigger house, all my problems would go away. If I could just have another holiday, my problems would go away. If I just treat myself to that bit of jewellery, if I just had a shopping trip, if I just got a nicer car, this is how we function in our society. We try and buy our way out of it. But the same is true today. We don't get better, we get worse. Because what happens is we end up with a bigger house and a bigger mortgage, a bigger car, and it's all lovely for a month or two, and then suddenly it's just another car and just another house, and we're no better. And the key always is to reach out and touch Jesus. Nothing's changed. Still the same there. It moves on. Um, what was the next verse I gave you, Andy? So this was the part I was talking about, hence the no notes right now. This is the part I was talking about where he wasn't allowed to go in. Why bother the teacher anymore? What an awful thing to say. Your daughter's just died, and your friends come in and go, she's dead. She's dead. Don't bother the teacher. Waste of time now. 
And the reason that is in there is because he wasn't allowed to go in the room. But Jesus has said, I'm already unclean. And actually, she's just asleep. Sneaky Jesus got his way into the room. And this is what he says when he walks into the room. And this is key. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talatakum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Now, this is a good translation, and it's the right words. But when a Hebrew would read it, he wouldn't read Talitha. He would read Talit Ha Kum. And the Talit was the shawl they used to wear. You've seen, have you seen like a rabbi and they wore a white shawl over their head with a couple of blue stripes on it? They saw over their head and they, they hold them in the corner. Have you seen the, can you picture this kind of thing I'm talking about? And here's the thing. The Talit was the shawl. And the shawl was like a, a replica of, of, the, of the curtain to the temple. And the other side of the curtain was the presence of God. And so this is what it symbolized. When they put it over their head, it was symbolizing that the presence of God is on me. The talit. Do you see what I'm saying? So it was a mirror of the temple. The, the curtain separated the people from the presence of God. The talit goes over them. And now I have the presence of God. So what Jesus actually says when you read it through talit, he says... The presence of God is here. My child, get up. The presence of God is here. My child, get up. But Barry, my business has failed. Yeah, but the presence of God is here. My child, get up. Yeah, but my, my uncle's sick and I think he's going to die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the presence of God is here. My child, get up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I can't pay the mortgage this month. I know. But the presence of God is here. My child, get up. Do you see? So he walks in there and the very presence of Jesus changes something. So we have this picture in this story of people representing generations. And the older generation is called to reach out and touch Jesus. And the younger generation doesn't even a clue what's going on. But because the older generation reached out and touched Jesus, it frees him to reach out and touch them. The presence of God is here. My child, get up. Yeah, but they're a Muslim family. The presence of God is here. My child, get up. Yeah, yeah, but I've been praying for my son and my daughter for years and they're not interested in church. Yeah, 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 but the presence of God is here. My child, get up. They don't even know, but he's in the room. All because you reached out and touched Jesus. The part you have to play in this revival is to stir your prayer life to touch Jesus and to stir your generosity to touch Jesus. And as you do that, it will free him to reach the next generation and you will have played your part. I think so often we've been beating ourselves up that we don't tell enough people about Jesus. And maybe Jesus should always be on our lips. But for some people, that's hard. But do you know what? What Jesus is saying in this passage is, if you'll just touch me, I will touch them. Which releases you from the guilt of, oh, I don't evangelize enough. I don't tell the good news enough. Or maybe you don't. And maybe you could do better and always do your best. But do you know what? How freeing that your major role is to touch the heart of the Father. Everyone can do that. Everyone can do that. And if we don't, it's because we're not pushing through the crowd of laziness. It's not because we're pushing through the crowd of our busy world. Well, it's time to push, church. It's time to push because a generation needs us to push. I, I want to see those children going to places I've never been before, but it means I've got to push. I want to see the, the young people out in the nightclubs in this town and probably every other town in our nation suddenly encountering Jesus, not because they were looking for him, but because I pushed through and then he touched them when they weren't looking for him. And suddenly, wouldn't it be awesome if, if Attic Nightclub cleared out on, at 3 or 4 a.m. or 5 a.m. I don't know what time goes on to nowadays, probably about 8 a.m. nowadays. Imagine if Attic Nightclub poured out and they were so touched by the presence of God that they weren't even looking for it, they turned up at Kesed Church. 
and the place got rammed. Why? Because you pushed through your crowd and touched Jesus. Nothing else. It frees him to do his part. But it starts with us doing our part. And it's not complicated, and it's not difficult, and it's not onerous. It's actually just saying, Lord, I need to touch you. Because I'm leaking life right now. And I'm tired, and I'm frustrated, and I'm fed up, and I'm depressed, and I'm isolated, and I'm hurting. But I know, I know, I know if I could touch you. If I could touch you. The moment you touch him, your life changes. And it will free a generation to go way beyond anything we've ever done. Talit Hakum. The presence of God is here. My child, get up. Doesn't it up the ante? You know, so great. We've got babies being born all around us. Doesn't it up the ante for parents to reach out and touch the father? Because you're making a way for the next generation. But if we could just see it in a bigger context, it's not just about your child. It's about every child. That if we could just reach out and touch him, he would reach out and touch them. Because you pushed through your crowd. Could I invite you to stand up? I'd love to pray with you.